Lord, we just come before you. We ask that you bless this time that we have together, that you guide and lead us as we, as we look at the book of Revelation, and that you will teach us what you'd have us to learn from that. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 6. Last week we talked about Jesus taking the, the scroll or the book with the seven seals. We talked about it being the legal document, the way the legal documents were sealed during the, the Roman days. And in uh, chapter 6, we're going to start seeing the seals broken. And one of the things that uh, we want to look at, just as we get into this one, there's several ways that people have looked at chapter 6. Uh, the traditional and most accepted way, which I do not agree with, is that it speaks of the beginning of the tribulation and the rise of the Antichrist. Um, if you want to believe that, I'm not going to disagree with you. I just don't, I don't think it's what it does, but it's... Um, other, the other way is that it just simply is the start of troubles coming to the world. Um, I tend to lean that way a little bit, but I have found a third way that kind of makes some sense is that it is listing the ages of God's judgment upon the earth with the start of the fall and, and working its way through ages of the earth. I, I don't think it's complete there. I think it's just literally the start of the troubles <laughs> before the Antichrist comes. And I, and I personally believe that we are in the sealed, ju you know, sealed judgments or sealed, bro broken seals currently. And I will leave that for each person to come up with their own, <laughs> their own, th own thoughts on it. If you want to go with your traditional, you're not going to be, you know, it, I can't say you're wrong. You'll be in great company. There's a lot of great leaders and pastors that believe that uh, they start the the the, the tribul great tribulation period. I just don't, I just don't see it that way, and I can be wrong just as anybody else can. So, so we're going to start looking at this uh, verse one. And I saw the Lamb open one of the seals, and I heard as it were a noise of thunder, and one of the four beasts saying, "Come and see." And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. So we're going to stop there. Just We're going to look at each seal as we're going on. So the seal was opened up and there was great noise and thundering. And, and we always think of heaven as a very peaceful place. But when we see these kind of statements, we, we start seeing a kind of a different picture. You know, we hear thunder. You know, when, when, when Jesus came forward to get the scroll, there was great noise and, and, and singing and praise and also crying because nobody, at first, because nobody was worthy of picking up the scroll and, and opening it. And here we hear, as it were, he says, the noise of thunder. And I'm, I'm thinking of those real heavy thunderstorms when you're up in the mountains in the thunderstorms. I don't think this is just the light rolling thunder that's being described here. I'm thinking this is very boisterous, loud thunder, loud, loud noise uh, that's drawn his attention. And, and, the, and the, one of the four beasts says, come and see, come and look, come and behold what, what's happening. And he saw the white horse and him that conquers. The traditional view is that this is the Antichrist being riding forth and, and taking over. I tend to believe it's just that whole idea of the, the wars. And I think this one has happened a long time ago. During the, during the time of the great kingdoms, of the great empires of this world. Going forth conquering, uh, you had Rome at that time, and then since then you've had basically the English, the English Empire then uh, was the next big true empire. And I think this is where this one occurs. Uh, again, the traditional view is that Jesus breaks this, this and, the, and the Antichrist rolls forward. But I see the I see the rapture of the church coming here in the next chapter, so I have a problem with this being the Antichrist. I'm not a mid-tribulation uh, uh, rapture person, so I don't see that as being the beginning of the tribulation. But those who are in mid-tribulation, they will they will say that uh, mid-tribulation rapture. They will say the Antichrist is coming here, and then we have the mild the mild tribulation period and then church is gone and the heavy duty stuff comes. So what are you saying though? You said one of the four beasts, so what do you think though? Well, remember we went back here yeah. to the four beasts in chapter... Um, I think that was. In chapter uh, four, 
where you have the four beasts with the six wings and they had oh, the... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a couple weeks ago we, we studied the four beasts. Okay. Uh, so one of them have come up and said, hey, take a look. Take a look at what, what's going on. And, you know, you, you think about that. How often... It's very strange. We have this human nature of when something is loud and boisterous, we have to go check it out, don't we? Uh, accident on the highway. You know, it's on the, on the south side of the highway and the north side slows down because they have to just look and see. Curiosity. Well, what went on to go over there? And, they, and then they get into a wreck because they're paying attention to what went on on the other side of the highway. That's what happened to uh, me one time in, when I was living in L.A. I was driving on Hollywood Freeway and this guy in front of me was slowing down in a fast lane looking at the accident. Looking at the accident. So I was... I knew I didn't want to rear him, so I avoided him. The guy behind me, he reared at me and he totaled my vehicle. Mm, yeah. Because curiosity. Yep. But this one goes forth to conquer, and it's kind of a universal conquering. So it's talking about, I think it's personally talking about various empires that have ruled over this period of time. But uh, that is just my, my opinion, so... All right, verse 3, And he opened the second seal, and I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and the power was given to him to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. So we, we have this second seal opened, and all of a sudden wars are, are, you know, are going out. And we live in a time when everybody says, you know, there's all kinds of peace, you know, give us, you know, we have all this peace. But, you know, I, I did some research and right now there are 10 what they call wars where over a hundred, where over a thousand people have died going on currently. And another 20 conflicts beyond that that are going on that are military in nature, not just gang violence and everything, but military. And we, and we say we are at a time of peace. <laughs> Uh, and it's kind of an amazing thing, and this is what I'm seeing. I believe we're here in this time where there's wars going on, and there have been wars pretty much constantly in this world, uh, at least since the Middle Ages, but even, even further back, there's been constant war in this world somewhere. And now we just have the capability of tracking them very, very nicely and, and, and easily. And, you know, this is kind of interesting that he was given to him to take the peace of the earth. And it's amazing to me how easy it is to say, for people to say, well, we're at peace. You know, there's no, no trouble. And America has been, quote unquote, on the war of terror for the last, what's it been, 12 years now or something like that? It's been a long time that we've been, quote unquote, at war. Yeah, where the Russians were, and then yeah. we moved in, and Unical 76 is putting that oil pipeline in, and we're there to defend it. Is and there a reason why they say, like, first it was white horse, now they're the red horse? No, just a picture of the two horses, I think. White usually means white usually means peace, red yeah, usually red means blood. blood. Seems like we're France or Russia See, that's failed. What I thought. Yeah. yeah. France and Russia failed, and we move in and try, and then we fail. Well, or, or at least try to work it in Vietnam. Nobody can be the, the police of the world and be successful at it because we are sinful people and the only way you could truly bring peace to the world would be to put them all under one good government. The only problem is there's no such thing as a good government. Uh, so when you bring in a government, somebody's going to feel oppressed and they're going to rebel. Even in a democracy, people don't like what goes on in a democracy or a republic and they rebel. Uh, the dictatorships are the same thing. So there will always be problems until you have a perfect government. And even then, as we're going to see in the book of Revelation, we put in a millennial kingdom ruled by Jesus, the, the best governor you could ever have, and yet people don't like it and they rebel at the end of a thousand years and rebel against him. So the sinful nature will drive people to, into rebellion, even against perfection. And people hated Jesus. You know, here's, the, here's a perfect person walking around who loves everybody and cares about everybody, and they hate him and kill him. And this is going to be the same thing in the millennial kingdom. He's going to, he's going to rule, and they're going to reject him at the end of a thousand years. Many will reject him, not everybody, but many will reject him at the end of a thousand years of perfect rule no sin, no war, no crime, 
uh, all this stuff going on, and yet they will reject him in the end because they didn't. They had it was forced in obedience. He ruled with an iron rod, you know. And we talk about thought police, and we're trying to get there. But Jesus will be the ultimate thought police, you know. You know, you can just picture it. You're thinking about sinning, and the and the authorities knock at the door and say, uh, uh, "You're not doing what you were just thinking." That was my grandfather. He'd look at you, and you'd know, you know, not to do bad. He just look at you, and you'd straighten up. You know, these had the thought police. The grandfather. <laughs> yeah, well, the Jesus would be the ultimate one. He'll know for sure that you were. It won't even be the thought of that you were thinking about it. Even it will know. But there is this idea that peace has been taken out of the world, and it's getting worse. And we are getting in a, into a deeper and deeper state of lack of peace. Uh, people are feeling the terror. They're willing to let the government have more and more rules so they can hope, hope to have security. And uh, didn't originate from Ben Franklin, but friend Franklin's given it. Those who, those who give up freedom for, for security deserve neither. And that's what we end up doing all the time. If we, the more freedom we give away, the less secure we actually will be because the government is not a good entity and be, and this is the thing our founding fathers understood when they built the republic is that they knew that government was made up of people people were evil therefore government would become the more power you gave government the more evil the government would become and we're starting to see that in our day and age our government is becoming pretty much evil and how much longer will it be before it just takes over and says we're not a democracy? I think it's very, very short, or a republic, you know, right term. I think it's very short, and it's going to shock people how fast it happens, because that's what history has told us. When a government falls, it falls quickly and surprises people. And we're looking at that situation in our government. Does God know that it's going to happen? Absolutely. We need to prepare our hearts for the day when being a Christian is against the law and serving and taking a stance with God is against the law and be ready to stand up for God and take our punishment. I think it's just sad because he knows everything that's going to happen before it happens. Mm-hmm. Like he knows how this world's going to end up. Yep, because it's time to him is nothing. He's in the beginning and the end. He sees it from, he sees it all at the same moment. And he will use that and he will encourage us and he will make us sure that we are ready for what's coming and we just need to be in his word and in him so that when it comes he is our strength and that's why i say we need to become like the apostles and and the disciples who when bad things happened they didn't say thank you for the bad things but they said thank you that we were worthy to suffer for christ and not, not thank you, God, that I'm being beat, but thank you, God, that I was worthy of suffering for you. I know, because I'm reading in Acts now about Paul and how uh, now he's, he's, been, he's been in jail now for two years in prison. And I'm reading, it's really amazing what he's doing. I thought he was going to be dead before then, but then I kind of skipped. I can't wait till I get to Romans. <laughs> but that's all of what it's about. Not that I'm thanking God that bad things happened to me, but thank you, God, that you have found me worthy of the suffering of this. And and there's a big difference between those two things, but we need to be ready. We need to be ready, and it takes that attitude of the proper attitude toward this. Because we can say, well, we're Christians. Nothing bad is supposed to happen to us. Well, that's not what the Bible tells us. It is, unfortunately, what the modern especially American and European gospel teaches. You know, get saved and everything's going to be okay. You're going to be rich. You're going to be happy. You're going to have all these blessings. The only problem is they can't show me any verses that say all those things. I always say, you just get me tougher and get me stronger too. But that's the whole point of it. Every trial we go through is, to, is to prepare us for the next trial, but it is also to toughen us up. And it's the same thing I've said over and over. You know, if I want to exercise and build up my muscles, I, I can't take this little tiny pen and say, let's exercise with this pen. I mean, I could lift this pen. And yes, the lifting of it might do my bus- muscles a little bit of good, but I'm not going to build any muscles lifting up this little, not even an ounce pen. You know, it's, uh, if I want to build muscles, I've got to go out and go find a, you know, but 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, whatever, whatever but muscle for all it is. These years, I never thought of it that way. Everything you're going through is trials. I always thought of it. 
back then, just like, you know. Why am I being punished? Why yeah. am I being, why now isn't God I, caring for me? Not being, not being weird, but I kind of like it sometimes because at least I know he's working on me. And I would say that's not being weird. From a Christian point of view, that's not a weird view because it says two things. Number one, he trusts me in this trial. Number two, he's growing me and strengthening me. And, you know, it, it's where well, we are with Saul. He's working on me and not and he's forgetting working on about us. me. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah, he's working on me and not forgetting about me. Yeah. You know, so it is very vital that, that we, the, when we, bad things happen to us that we get this attitude of, you may have that already, God, but thank I'm you. really learning it early. It's kind of neat in a way. Well, I it like takes it. time. It takes yeah. time. It takes, and it takes somebody to even tell you this in the first place yeah. that they're good for, you know, that these are good for you. Not, not the pain, not, yeah. the, not all that, but the, the exercise of it is good for you. Oh, that's why I said there's a reason for everything. And as I tell people, the bad news to that is that the next trial is going to be harder. Well, that just makes <laughs> you tougher. It just makes you tougher. Yeah. It just makes you tougher, but... So, but I do appreciate that when, when we get hold of that because that changes the way we look at our hard times. I have changed, completely changed. Like, it could have been worse or there's a reason for it. That's my two main mm -hmm. things I say. Yep. Instead of using years ago, da 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 all this bad stuff. Yeah. All right. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third be saying, come and see. And I behold, and lo, a black horse, and him that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see, you heard not the oil and the wine. This is a, the collapse, basically, of the economy. Okay, because this penny literally in, in the Greek is, denaria, is, a, is a denarius, it's a, a day's wage. And what he's saying is that it will cost you your entire day's work to be able to purchase basically enough food to stay alive. And this is not even you know this is not even saying enough food to to uh, prosper. This is to st get enough food to just literally stay alive. And this is a pretty bad seal being broken. And I think this is our next big one coming up in our in our world because we're if you listen to the news a lot like I do I love financial news and and that type of stuff they're all talking about the we're on the very verge of the entire economy collapsing and you know we could wake up one day and find that our money that we do have in the bank is worthless and not worth a penny and we saw this type of thing in. Germany after the war when they were made to you know pay reparations for the war and so all they did was print a bunch of money and they made their money you had worthless <laughs> and people would not allow themselves to even be paid by check because if, by the time you got to the bank the check would probably be bad and not worth anything they got paid in cash and they, there was these stories of people taking wheelbarrows full of cash to buy a loaf of bread or two and We've seen this over in time, over in history, hyperinflation type things hit us. And we are right on the verge of everything collapsing because there's so much debt in this world. You know, not just personal debt, but countries are so much in debt, all to one another. Um, you figure if they just kind of just, everybody say, okay, let's try to tie this all out, it would probably balance itself out, but that's not the way debt works in the, out there. But you look at this and it says a measure of wheat for a penny or three measures of barley for a penny and the measure literally is like one liter and when you grind up one liter of wheat or barley you don't have much left over in a flour and so we're talking about not being able hardly to stay alive you know, and their, their, their idea was to be able to bake a small loaf of bread and use that for staying alive and then we think about all the things that have been done to our food supply. And if you don't know it already, but when you buy seeds to grow, grow food uh, in a garden, the food that you get out of it cannot be used to make seeds for the next generation because it's been in genetically engineered so that you can't reuse it. And you have to pay lots of money to be able to buy food that can be reused yeah, as seed. That, the generically modified seeds. Well, it's been going on for a long time. Uh, 
you know, and it's been done by these companies because well, they didn't like, want you to go yeah. grow your own food from the food that they supplied you. So My it's government has the inheritances that are the, from especially the watermelon. So she gave me something. They are, you know. But it's important that you look at that because you, you know, we probably do want some seeds around that we can grow. Not sterilized. And not sterilized seeds that will grow just one time. But this is important because the economy is going to come apart and we're going to see it later on, but they will lead to the whole mark of the beast and the and all of this other parts that go into this, the one it world currency. about 20 years ago. I'm just now trying to get back together. Well, this will be for the whole world. <laughs> and then you hear this other one, and, and see that you hurt not the oil and the wine, and oil and wine represents all the luxuries of life. Okay, so it's saying, it, don't don't do damage to the things that are you know for luxuries because there's not just as just as everything even when the economy falls apart there will be the the top tier that somehow get the luxuries there always has been always will be people at the top who take advantage of everybody else and have the strength and power to to get what they want by force and we will see that they will be all kinds of, and it may not be official governments, and if you were into any kind of uh, apocrypha movies and everything, you see this. There's always some group of, you know, people who were criminals at first that become the new government, and they reestablished by, by force, and this would be the same thing. There will always be a group of people at the top. There will never be a power vacuum. Well, look who's running vacuum. the president now. That's just our, you already said that. No, we, Powerful people. We, we, we see this all the time, and there's always going to be a group. And this is one of the things when we, or even Russia or China, have toppled a government, there's a power vacuum there that has to be filled, and, it, and it's usually filled by somebody who's more corrupt than the group that you toppled because they're the one that are strong and, and ready, to, ready to fill that, fill that or they have vacuum. Is that what they call a coup? That's what coups are that same type of thing getting rid of the government. And then a worse government. And most of the time it is a worse government that is like we're learning in, in established. We're learning in our Sunday school class in Kings. Mm -hmm. Get a worse king and the one son is worse than the song. Quite often, yep. So this is the collapse of the economy, the worldwide economy. And we see this and it is right on, we are on the verge of it. When you listen to the news, you hear them talking about this government getting ready to collapse, this government getting ready to collapse. They need money pushed into them so they don't collapse. And they're really worried about the first big country that collapses because if one good-sized country collapses on their economy, they'll take down the world. Domino. It's, a, it's set up to be a domino effect. It's mutual destruction of the economy if one big and that's why there was a big push in Greece a couple of years ago not to let it fall and Greece is still struggling oh, yeah. but they have been influxed with money by by other governments because they know that if that a country of that size falls in the in, in their economy that everything is going to just you know domino over and collapse and so this is a big issue and I think, I personally think it's the next big issue on our, on our horizon. And I think that, and I personally believe that this is the seal that it is. And uh, we want to be watching it and it's going to happen. Verse 7, and when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard a verse, the voice of the fourth beast say, come and see. And I looked and beheld a pale horse and his name that sat on him was death. And hell followed after him. The power was given unto him over a fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. The next seal will be rampant death. <laughs> okay. And we're talking a quarter of the population of the world dying. And you, you know... And I did some research. The, the population of the Earth is roughly 7.2 billion people. It's a little over 7.2 billion people. That means that when this seal is broken, and it'll be much higher by then because we're gaining a, a person every 12 seconds, net gain every 12 seconds of a person. That means that somewhere around 1.8 billion people will die when this seal is broken. 
That's a lot of people, one in four people. And at current populations, that would be the entire population of China, the entire population of the United States, and the entire population of Brazil dying at the same time. Just to give you some idea, of, of the, that's the number one, three, and fifth largest countries all being wiped out <laughs> at one time. Or, as we're sitting in this room, one of us would be dead <laughs> in, the, in that population destruction. We thought Argentina would be the safe place to save the world. <laughs> but the idea, when God starts drawing down the population with the judgments, and this becomes the first big judgment that, is, that God seems to be. Now, whether this will be a nuclear war or something that's wiping out the population or a plague or we don't know, but it does say that they're going to die by the sword. And this word for sword is really interesting. If you ever watch the movies where they have this great big sword on their back, yeah. that's the kind of sword that this word is in the Greek. It's the big sword. It's not the little sword you wear at the side of your, 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 your body. So some will die by war. Many will die by hunger, and we just saw that in the collapse of the yeah. economy. Most people are going to, a lot of people will die by, because they can't afford to live. When you, if you have to work all day long just to get a sustainable, you know, and barely sustainable food, where are you going to live? Where are you going to, you know, how are you going to pay for anything else? Too, I think there just won't be enough food. Well, that's just it. There won't be. Yeah. Kind of work all day. There won't be. You're working, you're working all day for a little bun. Two Big Macs. Yeah, well, not even probably not even two Big Macs. You'd be lucky to have one. Right. You got to And you think about your family. You know, if you've got a family, how do you, you know, your kids aren't going out to work, but at this point they'd have to go work. They'd have to go find something to be able to work or you're splitting that one little bun with amongst your entire family and that just isn't going to happen. So we're talking about a lot of people are going to die from hunger. And with just general death, death and disease, and you can picture that there's going to be a lot of disease with this many people dying. And when you have large amounts of death, you have large amounts of disease going on. And then also the beast of the earth. Apparently, the animals themselves are going to get more vicious. And that could simply be because of the famine going on that they're driven out of the, out of the hills. And, you know, we see that here like in chloride where... When, when it gets real dry and, and up on the mountains, you'll see the coyotes and, the, and whatever else coming down into the valley looking for food. Well, if we get hungry, you know the animals are going to Oh, they're going yeah. to be very hungry. And apparently they're going to get, and the hungry are, they are, the more vicious they're going to be. But it, it's going to be bad enough that it's listed as one of the forms of the death. And so we're, we've got a very vicious time coming ahead. You've got the crash of the economy. And you can picture that there's going to be lots of violence when the economy crashes. There's going to be lots of violence. And people struggling for food. When there is food, there'll be fights. And you see it on the news every once in a while. You see the distribution of food at these, these camps. And all of a sudden, you see the violence when people, they're not being passed out enough or they run out. And all of a sudden, people are... You know, being crushing violent to it, yeah. crushing people, you know, to get to the food and, and tearing at each other. You know, so again, we've got a situation where all of this seems to be a lot more man-on-man -man type, type violence. Uh, you, can, you can picture, once the economy crashes, you can picture the war. You can picture the disease. You can picture all of this stuff going on. And it doesn't take much divine direction from any of the SEALs. Until the, until the last one. But uh, we see all of this going on, and it says that he has the power, and that's the authority, the power of choice. It's not, it's not just, it's, he has authority given to him, and to take lives. And this is death and hell, because he's gonna kill, kill the ones that go to hell. And at this point, I think Christians are somewhat protected during this period of time, because we're gonna be raptured. We're not totally, totally free, we're not totally secure, but we're going to be protected in many ways. Verse 9, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, do you not judge and avenge our blood? 
on them that dwell on the earth. And white robes were given unto them, every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet a little season until their fellow servants also of their brethren that should be killed as they were to be fulfilled. You know, this is kind of an interesting, <laughs> to see an unrest <laughs> in heaven. And technically we're not in heaven, we're in the throne room of heaven. And if you talk, if you remember we talk about the throne room of heaven is where anybody can come into, including Satan, because that's when Job was talking about, he appeared in the throne room of heaven and God questioned him, where have you been? And his answer's back, you know, I've been walking to and fro, you know, around the world. The throne room of heaven, just as any castle in a kingdom, was open to anybody. And it was always, you came in the main gates of a castle, and you went in through the main door of the castle, and the thing you found was the throne room. You weren't able to go into the, you know, you had to be invited to go into the banquet halls, you had to be invited to go into private chambers, and you definitely had to be invited to go into the living area. But everybody was able to go to the throne room because that's where you had your case heard. That's where you were able to present. Here's my complaint. You know, king and king, give me, give me my judgment. Give me, give me my satisfaction. And this is what we're seeing here. Those that had been killed, martyred for their faith, sitting there saying, God, when are you going to judge? When are you going to answer? And this word cry is to pray for vengeance. This is a strong word. They're calling out to God, God, uh, we died, we served you and we died. When are you going to make them pay for this? And there's a very human attitude that we're seeing at this point because they're not yet been glorified at this point. And we're going to see that they get glorified here in just a second. And... You know, and it says, how long? You know, God, how long are you going to wait? And it says, you are holy and you are true. And I love this word for truth because this word for truth isn't veracity. It is something that is real as opposed to a fictional character. And I loved when I read that on here because how many times when you talk to people about God do you hear somebody going, oh, you believe in that mythical character, that, that mythical mythical thing because they're supposedly far removed from God in our day. I don't know if you've ever had that happen, but I've had people tell me, oh, you believe in that fictional, fictional God that doesn't exist, or you believe in that fictional book, you know, huh? a fairy tale, uh, you know, anything that's not real. And I love it when it's, this word is the one that's true, the one who's not a fairy tale, the one who's not fictional. And is true and he goes how you know will you judge and avenge us and that whole idea of vengeance god do we know that vengeance is yours when are you going to you are our defense you are our protector when are you going to move forward and we see this from the people going into the throne room waiting waiting for the end times and then verse 11 they were given white robes the righteousness of christ was given to them to wear in the throne room and he was told, just wait a little while. Wait just a little while. You know, rest. Just stay calm. Be refreshed for a little season. It says a little season in the, in the King James, but literally that is chronos. It's time. Just a little time. Now, of course, a little time for God could be a long time for us, but, but it says just a little time. Wait just a little while. White robe kind of wouldn't it be like to cleanse yourself too? Or well, not cleansing yourself. No, no. You, they were given the righteousness of Christ. The white robe always refers to the righteousness of Christ oh. or righteousness. And when it's talking about Christians and everything, it's the righteousness of Christ that allows us to be in the presence of God. And this, and we, and God sees us with that what that precious robe of righteousness, Jesus' righteousness because he declared from the moment we accept Jesus Christ that we are perfect, so he sees us with the white robe already. And I, I love that. I love the fact that that's how he sees us. He doesn't see us in our imperfection. And it goes down to what we were talking about early. He sees the beginning from the end. He already knows that he's going to clothe us with a white robe, so he says the moment we get saved, even though we're not anywhere near that white robe place, he says, here's my perfect child, because I already see them 
at the end time. I already see them into the into the into eternity the way they the way they will be. And here he is saying, "Just wait. I'm clo I'm actually clothing you, and just wait. There's just a few more people that need to give their life. Just a few more. And we understand this. God says in Psalms." Precious in the, sight, in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And we always look at it as death being this terrible thing. But, you know, I love it. This church that I grew up and spending most of my life in, they said what they, didn't, they had homegoing ceremonies. And when somebody died, you know, they went home. They finally found their home. Yeah. yeah. There's there no more pain, no more suffering, no more trials. They get to go. They went home. And I love that mentality. On my mom's thing that we made for her, she put the end put home at last. Mm -hmm. And that's important. Now, if they're not a saved, then they've also gone home, just not the home that they want to be in. No, uh, but when it's a Christian who's saved, God takes pleasure in, this, in the death of his servants, his saints. And I understand the idea of being sorrowful and, you know, you've lost, you've lost a friend, you've lost a a relative, you're going to miss them in one sense, but yet at the same time, in a very short period of time, we're going to be with them for eternity. So yes, we want to be sorrowful and not, and not be, but, well, I, but at the same time we want to yeah. be joyful. I'm glad she's home at last, but I do miss her because I can't oh, show of her course. the that I find and stuff, you know, but yeah. other than that, no, she's not in this, this rotten world. Yeah. And that's what we want to look at is they're, you know, if they're saved and we know they're saved and they've gone home, they're, they're, they're enjoying Jesus, and they're going to be waiting for us to get there so they can enjoy Jesus with us. But, and, you know, I've always thought when they're with Jesus, you know, we always think about them looking down on us. But, you know, I have this feeling that when I get up to heaven, I'm not going to be thinking about anybody but being with my, with my one that I've looked for for so long, Jesus. He'll probably have to remind me, uh, by the way, uh, you're... Your 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 children are coming in today. Go go meet them and bring them bring them here. You know, oh yeah, that's right. I do have children, <laughs> but that's how I picture it. I'm going to be so ecstatic seeing Jesus that it's going to be that great a blessing. Yeah, we'll have a new mentality. Totally new mentality. I'm got, my mind's going to be focused on the the one that I've loved for the long time. I'm, he's going to be the one that I'm going to be looking at and wanting to spend time with. You know, after after a few thousand years, maybe I'll start be interested in other people up there that that are still around. But but uh, and I had one. We had one guy that talked about and a pastor one time. He talked about he believes that the idea of heaven will be we'll swap our testimonies amongst each other and go around meeting different people and, and getting their story. And My then, main is I want to meet people in the Bible. That. I want to meet some of the missionaries I oh, read yeah. about. So, but. And I understand what he said there because the, the song, I love to tell the story, the hymn, I love to tell the story, has a verse in, those who know it most love it just, as, just the same. I love hearing people's testimonies. How did you get saved? How did you get to the place where you followed God? And I love hearing those stories because it's just amazing how God gets people to come to him. Some are real simple, like I was born into a family that took me to church, but they still had that moment of time when they recognized they were a sinner and needed Jesus. Then you've got those who go through what we consider the, the big stories where they went into drugs and alcohol and the gangs and all of that, and, and then had to turn. And then they had to have all their life totally rechanged over, the, over, over a period of time as they learned to rethink and think with God and so this is this is the power of the story, and I love See, that testimonies. Because a lot of the prophets were that way, and it's just amazing how you think, oh, they're all going to be good people. No. Well, you start reading about, and this is what I love about God. He shows the weaknesses of people so that we know that we can be what they what they were. And we look at somebody like Moses, thinks he's going to rescue his people, commits murder, and gets chased out of the country for forty years. And then when it's time to go back, you go, nope, no, I, I already did this, God. I, I tried it, and it didn't work. And God says, no, now you're going back with me telling you what to do. I didn't think of me. Well, he was in the basket, and they picked him out of the basket out of the river. That's the I way thought. he was protected. Yeah, the way he was protected. 
And we start seeing the way God has protected each one of us when we get saved. And all of a sudden we start seeing our life in a little bit different light and start seeing how he's protected, led, guided, prepared. And even if you've lived a fairly good life, you start looking back and you say, wow, God, this is how you prepared me for this event in my life or this event in my life. And we all think of somebody like a Billy Graham. You know, Billy Graham didn't start by preaching to millions of people in each, each crusade. He started going to churches and preaching to the, to the 50 or 60 people in the church, 100 and 200, and eventually got to these big crusades. But just imagine if he'd been saved and said, okay, you're, you're an evangelist, bang, you're, you're now speaking to a million people. He'd probably have freaked out speaking to a million people if that was his first time to, to stand before them. You have to go through these stages that get you ready for the next stage, which gets you ready for the next stage. And we see that over and over again. And here God is telling these people that have been martyred, just wait, just a little longer. I'm going to avenge you. You will get, it will happen, just wait. And I love this word and, and that, uh, until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled or completed. It's amazing. God has a particular number of people that he knows are going to die. And when that last one dies, all of this happens or gets saved or whatever. Some people like to use it the, the, the other way. God has a number of people that when they get saved <laughs> will be triggering the, the end. And that could be true too. That, but in this particular verse, it's talking about we're waiting until the last martyr, the last martyr. Once that last martyr comes, then I'm going to move and avenge you. But I'm waiting for that last one. All right, verse 12. And behold, when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as the fig tree casts her untimely figs, when she is shaken with a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who is able to stand? And here is where we start seeing the transition. Here's the first big one that says, this is no longer man. <laughs> this is God starting to move. And we see here, it talks about a great earthquake. And if you look at this, you, you, you know, it talks about a great earthquake in verse 12. And in verse 14, it says, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. You want to talk about a big earthquake. <laughs> okay. Every part of this world is going to shake during that earthquake. We think we just have a little earthquake here. But this yeah, we just had those three earthquakes yesterday. Yesterday with you know 4.0, which to to most you know to people from California, they're going 4.0. You know, yeah. what are you what are you even talking about it on the news for? That's just a Yeah, but this is going to be an earthquake that shakes all of the earth. Not just part of it. And, it's going to, and it says that it shakes it all. And, and we can see this because the earth is starting to wobble even more. It's starting to, the axis of the earth is starting to, to be unstable. And it's, it used to be about every 30 years that the axis would move a little bit. And we're down to about every 10 years. And if you think about this, if you've ever seen a top that's spinning when it's really first started and fast, there's very little wobble on, the, on, the, on its axis. And as it slows down, you see this big, exaggerated <laughs> wobbles. Our Earth has been slowing down for a long time. At about, I th for the last thing I remember, it's about a quarter of a second every year that it's slowing down. Because it's getting so many other places, not getting to Or a decade, a quarter every a year or decade. I think it's every decade that it's slowing. But, so it's very imperceptible. But that speed of its slowing has been increasing over the, over the last few years. So is that why there's more earthquakes than other places, probably? Most likely, if there's, there's been a couple where the axis has literally shifted a little bit, and you know, we now know it by space because we, we can monitor it, and those are usually our really big earthquakes. 
Now, I don't know if that's true. They had a thing on the internet about, I think, in Mexico where it did crack open. They had big cracks open all yeah. all over the place. So I mean, it's huge yeah. Well, when the when the plates shift, you can have whole whole chunks of things shift. I mean, it's the last big one, of course, was the uh, Noah's flood when everything broke up and cracked and and the water came up from underneath and and God talks about very hard hard storms, but this is going to be an earthquake like we you know they talk about the the earthquake of the century, the storm of the century, the flood of the century. Well, this will be the the earthquake of all millennia. This will be the finale. Well, not quite the finale, well, but it, this will be the big earthquake that's going to say, hey, you know, <laughs> there's some problems. Or, and we see how people respond to this. And it talks about, it looks like with this earthquake that there'll be volcanic activity and and we'll fill the fill it so that the earth's so that the sun's rays barely get through. It says that the sun will be darkened, will become black as sackcloth, and sackcloth was some you know very black, heavy material that you put around things. And so it talks about the sun becoming very blackened, you know, or very dim. And another place it talks about the sun's going to lose a quarter of its uh, illumination to the earth. Talks about the the moon becoming red, uh, become as 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 blood. It doesn't say it becomes blood, but it becomes as blood. And if you've ever lived someplace with lots of pollution, you've seen plenty of red moons, or orange moons anyway, as it shines. The moon tries to go through the the pollution, and this is why I believe this this is going to be a lot of volcanic activity. Because if you have volcanic activity filling the atmosphere with ash, it's going to do just what this says. It's going to float all around the world, and it's going to change the the heat patterns and the cold patterns, and and this is going to be a big. And the stars fell to the earth, which I believe is poetic. It's not literally that they fell, but that you can't see them anymore. And then it gives this example example as a fig tree that casts her untimely fruit. And if you know anything about a fig tree, especially in the Middle East, before you have the season of, of figs, they have this little uh, bud that pr is produced is not really a fig that's edible and, and it's really sweet but it doesn't produce a fig and that buds and then the leaves come up and then it drops the, the buds if they haven't been eaten already by people and then figs are grown, are grown on them and this is when if you remember when Jesus cursed the fig tree he went up to the fig tree with all the leaves well, the leaves should, not that there was figs in there, but there were these little, I forgot what they're called, but they're little buds that, yeah. that are edible and they're and apparently very delicious from everybody, what I've been told. Uh, and he goes, nope, they, you lied to me. You had all this fruit, but you didn't have, you had all these leaves, but you have no fruit, so he cursed the tree. Next day it came, it was dead. And the next day it was dead. So we have this major earthquake probably volcanic activity, but there is, this is not a human thing. This is not, you know, barely even nature that, you know, with this kind of an earthquake, this is God saying, I want your attention. I want your attention. And he's going to give them an earthquake that's going to give them attention. And I can hear the different reports. They'll be talking about how the axis changed in a major way and, and all of that. You know, they'll explain it away like they've done every other thing. But a lot of people are going to go, this is God. You know, they're not going to listen to all those excuses. They're going to go, you this is God. Wake up. He's saying, wake up, pay attention to me. But it, you look at their description of the, what they did. They're hiding in the caves and dens and fleeing from, the, fleeing from it and saying, hide us from the face of God and the wrath of the Lamb. They hide from the mountains. The mountains aren't going to be gone. The ones they're hidden from. <laughs> you know, gonna be... There'll be new caves formed yeah. by this earthquakes, but you know, a lot of your other earthquake caves will be wiped out. And then it says, verse 17, For the great day of his wrath, the wrath of the Lamb, is come. Who shall stand? And we're getting ready to see the great tribulation starting. The, the Lamb is changing. Okay? And we'll see that even more in, in chapter 7 where we're going to see the lamb changing from the lamb to the, the lion of Judah, the king, the ruler. 
And this is where I believe we start seeing the, the rapture and the, and the whole tenure of God's dealing with the world changing because the church is going to be removed. And the church is the only thing that keeps most of the bad happening. And people look at the scriptures and they look at the Old Testament and say, man, God was mean and, and harsh back then. And he was. He was very wrathful. He made people pay for their sins. He made countries pay for their sins. But for the last 2,000 years, we've seen a relative period of peace from God. Why? Because he's been dealing with the church, not Israel. He's been saying, this is, this is my people that I have bought with my own blood. And when he removes his people from this, from this, in, this, this world, it's, it starts dealing back with Israel again. His wrath starts pouring out. We've had a very, in, in terms of God, short period of time where he's dealing with his, his bride, his, his church. The church will be removed, and God says, okay, now it's time to show you. You, know, you, thought, that I, you thought that you were getting away with everything? You're, how many times did David say, God, how long will you let these people get away with something? And God said, just give me the time. You know, when it's time, I will go after them. Takes his church out, and everything changes. Everything changes. Jesus changes from a lamb to a lion. He and, means business. And he means business. He's going to get their attention. He's going to grab hold of who they are. And next week we'll, we'll be seeing him change from that lion, lamb to the lion. Any questions? We've got a couple minutes. Any thoughts, questions? You say Israel is the size of Florida. Actually, they usually say New Jersey. New Jersey is even smaller. Yeah, it's very small. It's not a very large country anymore. You can see from the hills one side of Israel to the other. Really? It's very, smaller, very smaller. small. And that's why they can't afford to give away this land that our government and everybody wants them to give away because then there's nothing there to keep them from being overrun. So, All right, well, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, for the protection you give us, number one. But also, Lord, that we are going to see you moving in mighty ways that, you, that we forgot that you can move. Help us always to remember your power. Help us to understand that your power is still today. We're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, that we have your power within us. And we just thank you. Help us as we go out to share the gospel with others. In your son's name, amen.